Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker. I'm Alex Andreu and with me, fresh from the Met Gala, is Gavin Esler. Good morning, Gavin. Good morning, and I wish, yes. <laughs> whom are you wearing this morning, Gavin? What What am I wearing? <laughs> no, whom? That's, that's what they always ask, because it's Ooh. always a designer. Oh, God. <laughs> if I'm lucky, it might be uh, TK Maxx. <laughs> uh, I'm in a Marks and Spencer's dressing gown myself. Right, let's let's get into it. Um, local elections this week, and there has been much uh, expectation management going on from all sides, which is another way of saying they're all lying again about their prospects so that the result looks uh, kinder. Um, what do we think will actually look like a good or bad night for the government? That's a very good question. And I think uh, I'd take one step back and say, these are called local elections, but do you know the names of any of your councillors? Do you actually know how local government works? Because most of us actually take it kind of for granted. It's the, the people who mm-hmm. take our council tax or whatever it is, and, and we sometimes see them putting nice flowers and flower beds and whatever. And they are really important. I'm not trying to believe it. I don't know it. where you live. <laughs> well, there's, <laughs> none of that, there's none of that in South Bermondsey. <laughs> well... Um, but, you know, so how local are they is what is one of the obvious questions. So we will, you and I and many others will see this, including the political parties, as a referendum on the government and what are Labour's chances for next uh, next year, if that's when the election comes, at a time of uh, cost of living crisis. So um, there are those, the Tories, who say, oh, we'll be lucky if we if we don't lose a thousand seats. There are some in Labour who say, well, we might win a few hundred seats, bearing in mind we had a very good result last time round because Theresa May was being a bit of a disaster. And there's Sir John Curtis who say that Labour really need, and I trust Sir John Curtis because he's not a member of any political party and he does a lot of good work. And he says Labour possibly need about 500 gains to be on course mm. to win the next general election. So that's what I tend to I tend to go with. And you're right. It's all about expectation management. We did better than we, we thought we would is what everybody's yeah, yeah. going to try and say. Yeah. Um, and I think actually the context of the last local elections is a really important one because Last time this um, uh, cohort went to the polls to vote for local councillors was exactly four years ago, which was the lowest ebb of the Theresa May government. She basically fell after these elections. And you mentioned the cost of living crisis. Um, So food inflation was up again this month, uh, uh, month to month even though wholesale food prices have been falling for a while. And just before we recorded, BP announced another quarter of bumper profits. So is that a narrative that that helps Labour, this this idea of greedflation going on, uh, as it's called, that, you know, costs are falling, but the saving is not being passed on to consumers. I think a lot of us suspect that greedflation is a thing and uh, that some people are indeed profiteering, although it's always very difficult to prove because any supplier of anything can say, well, the cost we had to pay wasn't actually paid today. As we, as you bought the goods today, we had to pay this a month ago or several weeks ago. It's a bit tricky, but this is a mm. Useful narrative for Labour, it seems to me, in the longer term, um, because people are feeling it. And when politics becomes 
personal. That is a problem. Yeah. Um, talking about greed, the Eyes Richard Vaughan reports that the Conservative Party is apparently poised to post 10 million of profits fundraising in the first quarter of this year, which would apparently be their biggest quarter one fundraising in a non-election year ever, whatever that means. Um, Is is that a sign that donors are beginning to trust that Rishi Sunak can win the next general election? Or are we simply seeing deferred funding possibly from the late Johnson months and then the trust months basically coming into the party now that they've got someone non-gibbering in charge? Well, I think there's some, there's obviously relief that Sunak is not Truss and is not Johnson and is trying to do the best he can and he's got quite a difficult hand to play. So I think it may be the latter of those 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 two things, you know, but it may also be that people have recognised that if you put a lot of money into the Conservative Party, you might get a full-time sinecure in the House of Lords or other rewards. There is no good system for funding political parties and democracies. The, the, the American system has got some serious flaws where you can buy influence, yeah. but ours has too. And what's the alternative? State funding of parties, it comes up every few years and nobody wants it because nobody, we we don't want our taxes to go to help keep, you know, Rishi Sunak or or actually Keir Starmer in power. Mm. Now, I would say in the background of that, um, we have all the strikes, but actually for the vast majority of people, the strikes are in the foreground and the local elections are very much in the background. So a nurse sort of mega strike of 28 hours finished at midnight. There's a rail strike announced. Junior doctors are balancing their members again. And the NHS staff council is meeting, which is the body that sort of brings together all the the unions that represent NHS workers. And that will be an interesting one because some unions have accepted the government offer of 5% and some unions like the Royal College of Nursing have not accepted that. So I suspect that will be thrashed out in that NHS staff council meeting. So all excuses and PR aside, is there a danger for the Tories that the the country looks as if it is falling apart on their watch, basically, and and people don't pay attention to the minutiae and the detail of the pol- politics going on? Well, I think that the country does look as if it's falling apart on their watch. And I think there's going to be a kind of bit of cognitive dissonance when we celebrate um, Mm. the coronation of King Charles III and when we look around at the country that we admire or used to admire and that we live in and that many of us love and we see what a mess we're in and so much of it is a self-inflicted wound. Let me just give you one example. Um, I'm Chancellor of the University of Kent. We were honoured to have um, uh, Her Royal Highness the Duchess of Edinburgh open a new medical school uh, about a week ago. And what was interesting in that was the conversation between the medics and the professors and others about, one, how we fail to join up government. We've been talking about the problems of social care and the health service Mm. for decades 
decades and done nothing really serious about it. The second thing that people were talking about was um, we are going to be training a new generation of medics, which is fantastic. But who are we training them for? Are they going to go to Australia because the system is so absolutely fundamentally flawed and because we haven't invested enough in it? And I could go on and on and on about this. But these are the people in our country, including Her Royal Highness, actually, who was very, very well informed and want to solve problems in our country. And yet we have had inert governments that tell us that we're global Britain and we're well, come up with all kinds of glib phrases. And presumably, I suspect we're going to hear them again in the next year or so, or tell us that we're woke or other terms of abuse, which are utterly vacuous. So we have got the talent in this country to do things. Unfortunately, it seems to me, we tend not to have that talent within political parties and government because they know what the problems are and they don't do anything because they're too obsessed with tomorrow's headlines rather than the next generation's problems. Yes, I think it's it's very hard to ignore the fact that really in every indicator that matters... Um, short, medium, or long term, in terms of prospects, in terms of educational outcomes, health outcomes. I mean, we are sliding down the OECD list um, while simultaneously talking about global Britain the whole time. Now, you mentioned the coronation. That is happening this weekend. Um, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, has suggested people can join in um, a, a, an oath of allegiance to the king. Will you be doing that? Well, I'm slightly perplexed by this because, you know, uh, again, let me take a step back. There are only two countries in the world of which I know for sure that the state religion has of right members in one of the legislatures. And one of those is the United Kingdom, because Church of England bishops are in there. And the other is yep. Iran. Now, I think this is a very odd statement from uh, a church leader who leads a church where attendance on Sundays is fewer than 1%, less than 1% of our population. I think it's a very odd thing to say. And I'm not sure who it appeal, appeals to. You know, um, uh, the YouGov poll recently suggested that only 6% of 18 to 24-year-olds are very interested in the coronation at all, whereas, uh, you know, majority of over 65s are. So perhaps that, that kind of, the idea of saying that oath has some appeal for some people, but I haven't even, I haven't met any actually. I haven't met anybody who was saying how important this is to them. And also, what's interesting to me actually is that we already have a king. King Charles became king when his mother passed away. And I'm not an anti-monarchist, but why are we having a mil a hundred million pounds spent on a coronation? Who is that actually for? One of the one of the fears within the British Council, if you read their reports um, and their surveys is that Britain tends to be seen around the world, and particularly in America, for our culture and our past and our past history, our heritage. And the idea that we are some kind of heritage theme park, not the creative modern Britain that we could be, is something which is implicit in a lot of their reports and concerns. And I think, you know, the, the son said that Prince Charles will drop his breeches, meaning that uh, he's going to be wearing military uniform. And this is a modernised ceremony. 
I'm, I'm not so sure. When you said, who is this show for? My my immediate thought was American TV networks, <laughs> I have to say. Um, you know, and, and tourism is a huge industry for this country. You know, it's a big, big sector. Princess Anne says she doesn't think there is a case for a slimmed-down monarchy, which is surprising from the monarch's sister. But there has been a little rumble of republicanism growing, I think, hasn't there? It's just there is now that conversation happening for more people, certainly, than, than before. I think there's a conversation about the role of the, the royal family rather than the institution of the monarchy, which I think, yes. I mean, the counter argument to republicanism is President Truss or President Johnson or President, yes. <laughs> President Trump. Um, that, is, that always seems to me a problem. I agree there's a lot of rumbling, absolutely. But I think the question is, what kind of monarchy are we prepared to pay for and what kind of monarchy do we want? And having seen all the stories about vast amounts of money uh, and uh, the cost of this, which is borne by the tax, pair and the sense that this um not not that we celebrate just celebrate the past which i'm fine i'm fine with but that we kind of live in it is is a real problem and you know if you read the peak of if you read any of the histories of the peak of british power in the victorian age even queen victoria who ended her reign as much loved and much admired and so on much of her reign uh, the monarchy was not really regarded as highly as it is today and so we have kind of paradox that british british power and influence was at its peak or was growing immensely in the early victorian era when the monarchy was not as highly regarded as it is now apparently but that conversation mm. is going on talking of um, rumbling Republicans of the of the capitalised variety this time, and Donald Trump, um, he is visiting Scotland at the moment. Um, do, do, I mean, doesn't this look like a desperate attempt to just mirror Biden's visit to Ireland? Is that just me? It just looks like a really hastily arranged thing that goes. I have roots too. Well, I think there is one big difference because as I'm Scottish. And I spent a lot of time living in Northern Ireland and I'm heading off to Dublin fairly soon because I've got a lot of friends there. And Joe Biden is much loved by most people in the Irish <laughs> Republic. I am not sure how much love Donald Trump is in Scotland because I have talked to people who don't like his golf courses, they don't like his politics, they don't like him. <laughs> There's quite a lot of those. <laughs> yes, I, I, I mean, it's hilarious that it does invite the comparison and the comparison is actually comes out really unkindly for Trump now on on more serious international matters and there is little we can offer in the way of comment on these things I think uh, Sudan the situation there does seem a little bit calmer while Ukraine is really flaring up there was another really concerted missile attack. Um, last uh, yesterday afternoon, do you think those trajectories will continue this week? Do you think the the ceasefire, such as it is, will continue to be extended? And do you think action in Ukraine will continue to intensify? Well, I'm I'm certainly no expert on Sudan, but it does look as if you've got two people whose personal ambitions are so great they're prepared to fight to the last 
Sudanese person. The question is, can somebody outside intervene or can someone outside at least bring them together? I doubt if bringing together is going to be the case. Uh, My suspicion, and I only know what I've read, is that one or other of the two military leaders will have to leave the country at some point. It's very difficult to see how they can coexist. Um, Ukraine, well, it's settled into, unfortunately, what many of us thought after uh, the Ukrainian resistance proved to be so strong at the start. I mean, there was the assumption, I think, from Putin and I think from the rest of us, actually, that this enormous country would somehow swallow up Ukraine. And the Ukrainians have proved as those of us who thought that desperate thing might happen have proved as wrong. Bakhmut and uh, the fighting around there just seems to be an endless waste of mostly Russian lives, actually. And therefore, the firing of rockets into civilian areas is... Um, may show a degree of desperation on the Russians' part, but they are prepared to continue and continue uh, to the last member of the Wagner group, perhaps, and others. Um, Who knows what, you know, the the old Churchill phrase about Russia being an enigma, wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in a riddle or whatever, is still true in terms of Putin. What does he actually think he can gain by keeping on going? Mm. I would highly recommend to our listeners the first episode of Arthur Snell's new um, season of doomsday watch which is all about that and and i mean the the description of what is literally a killing field in bakhmut is just extraordinary it's just atrocious what that man is doing to the world there's nothing more to say on that um can can we come back to whitehall for a moment because there is something that is very geeky and political but that i think our listeners will be very interested in there have been developments in the simon case sue grave and debtor right yes so today <laughs> tuesday there is an expectation that the government will update the commons on sue gray and it looks like the finding is that she broke civil service rules. It is also widely thought, I think, that the finding has been pushed for hard by the top civil servant Simon Case in some sort of weird, um, you know, personal feud. Um, It's tricky for Starmer, isn't it? Well, I think it's tricky for a number of people. I mean, isn't Simon Case like McCavity the mystery cat, where various things Mm -hmm. keep happening and going wrong, and then... He's never quite there. I don't really know why. I've never met him. I have met Sue Gray, um, uh, and I think she is a absolutely outstanding public servant, as far as I can I can see. It does seem to me if. Uh, there may be a problem for Keir Starmer, but it does seem to me she's exactly the kind of person that you would want after 13 or 14 years out of office, the Labour Party out of office. You yeah. would want somebody like her. Now, I don't even know. I mean, I, I can't, can't go into the discussions I had with her, but they weren't about party politics. They were about other things. Um, and is she Labour Party supporter, Conservative Party po- supporter? I don't know, and I don't think it really matters. I mean, is Simon Case a Conservative Party supporter? We don't really ask that of the civil service since the North Court Trevelyan reforms. We expect them to uh, to knuckle down and do good things for whoever is in power. And I think some of that has certainly been damaged, and may, that may be damaged uh, if she were to be penalised in some way. 
Yes, and I think one of the people calling for Case to resign is Anthony Selden. You've been enjoying um, his revelations about Johnson. And and his book reveals that Case basically got the job after loads of much more qualified people turned it down because they didn't want to work with Dominic Cummings. And Case is back in the news also after Richard Sharp's resignation. And, and there were reports that he's been frozen out of big number 10 meetings. So might his time be coming to an end? I suspect it might. I mean, uh, obviously, Rishi Sunak has got enough on his plate. And it's. Uh, and so I don't usually feel sorry for people who get to the top of the tree in politics, but I do slightly feel sorry for him. And the, the hand that he's been left by the appalling mess of Truss and Johnson is really, really quite quite something. So I, I don't know whether he will dispatch of another senior civil servant. It does look a bit like carelessness, I suppose. Um, okay, so so let's end on a high, shall we? Uh, over at La La Land, a writer's strike is about to begin. Uh, and one solution, one solution, I think, might be to, to just let chat GPT write everything, which brings me to our final lighthearted item. One of the top AI engineers has quit Google, warning basically that Skynet is about to become conscious. Do you welcome our new AI overlords? <laughs> Do you know, I try to make sense of this so much. Uh, It's sort of like um, I'm in the film Don't Look Up, you know, and by looking up, I would actually see all this artificial intelligence um, meteorite that's about to destroy us all. And so I tend not to do so because I don't quite understand it. But the the concerns about artificial intelligence, I think I've... uh, may have said to you before, Alex, that since we can't spot spot shallow fakes like Boris Johnson, spotting deep fakes is be, could become a really, <laughs> really difficult thing for us to do in the, in the, in the, in the future. And that's it for today. Um, you're ready to start your week. If you enjoyed this, remember to tune in for another bunker tomorrow and you can support our getting up at 6am to do this for £3 a month on the funding platform Patreon, which will get you early access to ad-free episodes, plus a shout-out on this show. Here's Gavin with today's. And a big thank you from me to Tony Lloyd, Avril Parks, Alison M. Duguid, and Lucy Rose Jefferson. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening to Start Your Week. Good day. Good day. Bunker is presented by Alex Andrei with Gavin Esler. Producer is Kasia Tomashevich. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis. Group editor, Andrew Harrison. Audio production by me, Robin Lieber. And the theme tune is by Kenny Dick. The Bunker is a podcast production.